Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. So is there a time in your life when you had to remind yourself of what you know? Well, like Cody said, my name's Adam Hannon, and um, I'm part of a team of pastors here at Candeo. Um, and like he also said, this is my first time uh, preaching on Sunday morning. Working in radio at Life 101.9, like, I'm not new to speaking to a large group of people, but there's a difference. You know, I, I talk to 85,000 people a week doing the morning show, but I don't see their faces looking back at me. So thank you in advance for your patience. And if you have any complaints today, you can reach me at jake at candeochurch.com. <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. So uh, I'm married to my wife, Christina. And if you've been around, uh, you may have seen my, our, our four kids. There, there we are. There we are. Our, our oldest son is six foot five, so you can't even see the top of his head. That's how tall he is. It's amazing. And if you see a picture like this, you're like, that's a beautiful family. In my biased opinion, you're not wrong. But sometimes... When I look at a picture like this, I don't just see what's there. I also see what's missing. I count those kids. One, two, three, four. We've been pregnant seven times. We've had two miscarriages. And uh, we lost another one of our sons in 2012. He passed away before his second birthday. Now, he had a lot of medical complications. Everything from uh, neuromuscular disorder to uh, major brain damage and other issues. And though my wife and I were both believers, when our son was here fighting for his life and after he lost it, we found it necessary to remind ourselves of what we already knew about God and the hope of eternal life. For example, we'd be holding our fragile little boy and we'd often tell each other and ourselves that every single day that we wake up is a gift, that God is faithful even if the worst happens, and that heaven is real. Now, we, we knew those things to be true before. We just needed to remember what we already knew. So we've been going through 1 John as a church for the past few weeks. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to 1 John 5. And we're going to finish 1 John this morning. And here at the end of this letter, John shares with us the whole point of why he's writing. We're going to back up to verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So John is writing this book to remind believers what they already know. You know, John wrote other books of the Bible for other reasons, there's the Gospel of John. You know the four Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John wrote John. And we see the purpose of the Gospel of John in John 20, verse 31. These are written, this book was written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. But first John was written to people who already believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And they have life in his name, secured by God himself through the gospel. These are people who already know that Jesus stepped off his throne in heaven, took on the form of a servant, was born in the likeness of men, 
humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He bore the wrath of the Father as he took on the sins of the world, and in exchange, he gave us his righteousness. Three days later, he rose from the dead, he walked around talking with people and eating fish for breakfast for 40 days before going back to his throne in heaven, and it's because of faith in this Jesus that the recipients of this letter have been promised forgiveness of sins and eternal life with Jesus in heaven forever to worship him as the King of Kings. So John is writing this letter to people who already believe this. But the devil's sneaky. And John's original audience were starting to see friends leaving to teach ideas that did not line up with the gospel. Their friends from church were deconstructing from the foundations of Christian truth and we're leaving. And some are taking what was taught in church and mixing it with worldly ideas in order to continue living the, the way that they wanted to. So naturally, Christians in the church had questions, and they were wondering what to do about this. And so, John writes this letter to encourage them to start with what they already know and have confidence in that. So here's my hope for today's teaching that as we see John addressing certain points through the lens of here's what we know, that we would be reminded of these foundational truths and better understand them, but also be able to look at any questions or circumstances with unwavering confidence in who Jesus is and who we are in him. In other words, there are things that we can know because of who we know. I'll say that again. There are things we can know because of who we know. So what are these things? Uh, let's start by talking about prayer. Back to chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Now, I have to admit, a lot of times when I read through 1 John, I have to pause. And sometimes I can hear a little voice inside my head. It sounds a lot like Michael Scott from The Office saying, now, explain this to me like I'm five. <laughs> if you're thinking that when you read hard passages in the Bible, please know that you are not alone. But here's one of the truths from this passage that John wants you to know with confidence. God listens to you pray. God listens to you pray. So I follow Kevin Eastman on Facebook. And judging by the blank stare I'm getting from a lot of you right now, maybe I should explain. So Kevin Eastman is the original creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Am I the only Ninja Turtles fan in their 40s here this morning? <laughs> okay. Anyway, so I follow this guy on Facebook. And it was about a year ago, I saw a post from him, and like hundreds of other Turtles fans who are out there, I guarantee it, uh, I commented on this post, and a little bit later, I click on notifications, and I saw somebody liked my comment. My comment was liked by Kevin Eastman. The creator of the Ninja Turtles read my comment about his Ninja Turtles, and he liked it. That was so neat. But that was nothing. 
God listens to you pray. The king of all who sits on his throne in heaven, the creator of everything, the one we read about on every page of the best-selling book of all time, the Bible, the true God who always has been and always will be involved in the affairs of men, he listens to you pray. Please don't miss how incredible this is. I said something to the Ninja Turtle guy about something he cares about, and he paid attention. What does God care about? I mean, what does God really care about? When I look at Scripture, I see three things. I see that he cares deeply about his glory, your salvation, and you becoming more obedient to him and to his will. And when we ask for his help, especially, specifically, in help with obedience, he hears those requests favorably because we're wanting to obey his will. So question, can we pray about other stuff? Yeah, of course. You know, he's your heavenly father. You can talk to him about anything, everything. He's your provider. Jesus taught us we can even ask him for our daily bread. He's generous. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So again, you can ask him for anything. But if God said no, would you be satisfied? What do you want more? Do you want a particular answer from God? Or do you want God himself? He's not going to neglect your need. He knows what you need. He does hear you, which in addition to salvation is our greatest need and our greatest request, that he hears us. And when I know that my greatest need has been met in Jesus, am I satisfied in that I just got to talk with my father? And if prayer is less about me getting what I want from God and more about me getting more of God and becoming more like him and my obedience to him, then maybe prayer is more of us aligning our will with his than him trying to align his will with ours. In the year 1543, Nicholas Copernicus proposed the heliocentric theory, which stated that the earth is actually not the center of the universe and everything revolves around us. Instead, you know, the sun is massive and powerful. Everything in our solar system revolves around the sun. Even us, whether we like it or not, we can't do anything to change that. So in our prayers, we're in good alignment when we approach him knowing that he is the center of the universe and that everything revolves around him. That, of course, includes your life, your needs, your desires, so a lot more power and accuracy in asking those things under the perspective of them being God-centered instead of self-centered. So how can this inform your prayer life? Some of the things that you can do to line up your prayers with God's will. One, read and study your Bible so that you may know who you are praying to. Dalton read Isaiah 6, 1 through 5 over us earlier. Man, I remember being blown away 
by reading this and seeing it from the perspective of Isaiah, one of the prophets. And he said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I'm lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Yes, he is. He is your heavenly Father who welcomes you into his presence. But the power of prayer is not in your prayer. It's in the one who hears it. To believe that he's real and that he rewards those who seek him. There's another story in the Old Testament, this account of this big showdown in 1 Kings. You've got Elijah. Elijah uh, was one of the prophets of one of the, the one true God, and he's taken on 450 of the prophets of Baal. Now, Elijah issued this challenge. He said, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal... And follow him. Get two bulls, prepare it for a sacrifice. You call upon the name of your God, and I'll call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he's God. So the Bible says that during this great showdown, the prophets of Baal cried out to, the, to their God with all their might all day. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. But... When Elijah called on the one true God, the same one who listens to you pray, fire fell from heaven. It consumed the sacrifice and the altar that it was on. God is real, and God hears your prayer. Christian missionary Hudson Taylor once said, there is a living God. He has spoken in the Bible. He means what he says and will do all that he has promised. Third thing you can do, pray through Scripture. We kind of exercised that a little bit this morning already. It's great alignment. It's great practice. Here's what I mean by praying through Scripture. Pick out a verse. Just pick a verse, read it, and pray it back to God. You're letting the inspired words that God spoke shape how you think of Him and how you speak to Him. It might be a verse that inspires adoration to him or confession to him or thanksgiving for the way that he acts or it highlights a need or a desire in your life that you're asking God to meet. But God desires communication with you. He's ready and he wants to listen. He even uses prayer for a means for how he carries out his work in this world. So don't miss the chance to pray. And if for nothing else, Pray to him because you get to pray to the king and he listens. No, 
Now, a practical application of praying God's will is praying for other believers' obedience. And this is the second thing from this passage that you already know that John wants to remind you of, that Christian community is a means of God's good for you. Back to chapter 5, 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. So John is telling us to pray for people. And I think a good question to ask here is, well, who is John telling us to pray for here? Verse 18 says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin... So, I'm just going to pause there. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, he's telling us to pray for other believers. For others in the family of God. Remember the context of the original audience. You know, the people in the church were seeing their friends walk away, leave the faith, and leaving the foundational teachings about Jesus. And John says that those people weren't really one of you anyways. They weren't part of God's family. They're not Christians. They did the one thing, the one thing that will keep you from forgiveness from a holy God and experiencing eternal life with him. They denied his son. They denied Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's a sin that leads to death. Anything north of that, and you have an advocate pleading your case. And your advocate is Jesus himself, and he's pleading your case with his spilled blood. Christian, your standing with God is solidified. Your eternal destination is certain. There's no turning back. You will continue to sin, but when Jesus says that your debt is paid in full, there's no change in that. So, we're being told here to pray for other believers. Now, when you see unbelievers sin, John says, I do not say one should pray for that. I think it's important to note, John is not telling us, don't pray for unbelievers. Jesus said we should. You know, he said, we need to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Even Paul said, to pray for governing authorities like Emperor Nero, who at that time was very much opposed to Christianity. So John's not telling us not to pray for unbelievers. It's just parenthetical. He's just saying, that's not what I'm talking about. And I don't want you to get distracted from the main point here, John is saying, that we need, need, need to be praying for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. It says, when you see a fellow believer committing a sin, pray for him or her. A helpful observation that I see is that John is assuming that we as believers and members of God's family are living in such close community and relationship that we're able to see each other's sins. After graduating college, man, I struggled to get full-time work into radio. Three and a half years, I was applying anywhere and everywhere. And I was getting rejected left and right, north and south. 
And I remember one particular job interview that looked hopeful. And at this point, at this point, I had a wife and two babies to support. And I'm keeping this dream alive of having a career in radio. And this, this interview process was looking good. So the manager and his wife of this station invited me and my wife to dinner in order to get to know us a little better. I wanted that job so bad. So on the way in, I'm reminding myself, okay, speak clearly, make eye contact, and smile a lot. That's what I was reminding myself. So during dinner, and I had no idea, I got a big chunk of broccoli stuck in my front teeth. <laughs> but I'm smiling pretty big because I want this job. So uh, <laughs> my wife noticed, and she was trying to discreetly point that out to me. Now, I'm the worst at reading nonverbal cues. The worst. So as she's pointing to her mouth, I figured she was trying to tell me to smile even bigger. <laughs> so I did. And then she looked at me and Suddenly, she's shaking her head, and she's being careful not to be seen by the manager, but very much wanting me to see. And she uh, brought her hand up to her mouth to indicate something stuck in her teeth. And all I remember thinking is, poor girl, she's got something stuck in her teeth. <laughs> and she wants me to keep the attention off her while she fixes it, so I smiled even bigger. <laughs> Through that process, we learned something valuable that though she could see something in my life that I could not, she cared and she wanted the best for me. And that after trying everything she could, really all she could do was pray for me. <laughs> so obviously having food stuck in my teeth is not a sin, but it wasn't my best look. And I'm thankful that Christina cared and uh, prayed on my behalf. But when you do see someone sinning, what should you do? Well, Jesus said we should go to that person and address it. And when I'm looking at more of the teachings of Jesus, I see steps that are necessary even before bringing it up with that person. Be humble. You know, Jesus never said, don't try to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He never said that. Instead, what he did say was, first, Take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So be humble. And being humble will help you to forgive. So be humble and forgive. You know, the sin or the offense still needs to be dealt with, but coming into that conversation having already forgiven that person, that's a game changer. As one poet said, throughout life, People will make you mad, disrespect you, and treat you bad. Let God deal with the things they do, because hate in your heart will consume you too. Okay, that was Will Smith, a.k.a. the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Jake at CandeoChurch.com. No, just kidding. Uh, it rhymes, and I think it's true. Okay, so anyways, it's important for us to forgive. But in order to do that, Jesus taught his disciples, including John, who's reminding us in this letter to pray, be humble, forgive, and pray. Pray for God to work through Christian community to bring about sanctification. That's a big word that means living more like Jesus. So pray first. Then go to your brother or your sister. We do have a role in each other's sanctification, 
I found that God is always at work and that he often works through people. And a big part of it is working through people's prayer. Candeo, let's be a church that prays for each other. Let's pray for broccoli stuck in your brother's teeth. Let's be a church that prays for the job opportunity that's needed to support their family. Let's pray for each other's sicknesses and anxieties. But more than that, in every and all circumstances, let's pray for each other's faith and sanctification. That all of us would together become more like Jesus. Don't miss an opportunity to pray for something for someone, for someone that matters for eternity. And if you're praying for somebody else, here's the flip side. You also need to be vulnerable. Don't hide your sins because you don't want to miss an opportunity to have someone praying for you. God works through Christian community to bring about sanctification, which is living more like Jesus. So, so far, the things that John wants you to remember are that God hears you when you pray and that Christian community is a means of God's good for you. And the third, which we're going to get into now, that you have victory through Jesus. Verses 18 and 19, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And I get it. It's easy to look at this particular verse, verse 18, and ask, does this mean that Christians do not keep on sinning? Because I do. So what does that say about me? Listen, God's word does not contradict itself. So when a passage in scripture is challenging to figure out, I found that one of the best things to do is to let scripture interpret scripture. And in this case, we can even use the same author, even in the same book, to explain this to us like we're five. In 1 John 2.1, for example, John says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So put these two verses together, and you have a more comprehensive picture. In other words, don't keep on sinning. But when you do mess up, rest in the completed work of your advocate, Jesus, the righteous. There's a, an analogy in Ephesians 6. It talks about putting on the armor of God. That includes the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, and the helmet of salvation. Being confident in your salvation is like putting on a helmet to protect what? To protect your mind from the doubts that the enemy is trying to get you to believe about your salvation. Satan is the accuser who plants doubts in our minds. Man, I messed up again. Don't give up. Keep running toward the mercy of Christ. Keep wrestling against sin. If you find yourself struggling with sin, at least there's a struggle. So keep struggling to stop sinning. Keep running toward Christ's mercy, knowing that if you are his, then you are fortified and you are protected in him. And the tension of fighting your sinful nature and depending on Jesus to guard your salvation, 
That's been sung by the church for over 200 years in a song called Come Thou Fount. I think it speaks directly to this. It'd be good to look at some of the words. Let thy goodness, like a fetter. Okay, I'm going to pause, take a time out here. It's old-timey English, right? We're going to translate a little bit. Thy, in case, just in case you don't know, thy means your. And fetter, it doesn't say feather. It's not going to tickle us a little. But fetter, I had to look this up. A chain or a shackle used to restrain someone or a restraint to restrict someone from doing something. Use any means necessary. The next line, bind my wandering heart to thee. Okay, another time out. Thee is you, just in case. Tell you what, let's start over. Uh, I'm just going to translate this as we go. No disrespect to the original author. I just don't want thee to miss it. Let your goodness, like a restraint, tie up my wandering heart to you. Because I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. Victory. John wants you to remember that you have victory in Christ. Yeah, we still sin. We can't let the enemy think that he's winning because Christ is already victorious and he protects us. You know, a few weeks ago, uh, Drew showed us that because of the strength of him who is in us, and you're a conqueror of the spirit of the Antichrist. Romans 8.37 also tells us that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You get to join Jesus in his victory parade. And you might be thinking, but I'm not victorious. I still mess up. Yep. And Jesus says, you're mine and you're coming with me. And neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's worth celebrating. Jerry Bridges said to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Not to try to convert yourself every day, but to remind yourself of it every day. And how would your life look different if every morning you prayed with confidence that God is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he can do and that he is for you? We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He's the true God and eternal life. So John keeps pushing this message of be confident, be confident, be confident, not in ourselves, but in Jesus. And remember what you already know and be confident that God hears your prayers a Christian community is a means of God's good for you and that you have victory in Jesus. I was telling you a story earlier this morning about when my family had to remind ourselves of something we knew. Psalm 128, uh, 121 verse 8 says, The Lord will watch your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. 
And this verse has meant so much to my family and I, especially when our son was, was not doing well. So we had this verse inscribed on our little boy's gravestone after he died. And we got a phone call from somebody who made it out to the cemetery before we did, saying, you're never going to believe this. But there's a spelling error on his gravestone. Etched into the rock, it read, the Lord will watch your going out and your coming in from this time froth and forevermore. And we laughed. We laughed hard. Because here is this sentimental, tender thing, and now we're just thinking about a frothy mug of root beer. <laughs> so we got the rest of the family into the minivan. We drove to the cemetery, and we had root beer floats at our son's gravesite. We celebrated what we already knew about Jesus and the sure hope of eternal life found in him. From this time froth and forevermore. Candeo, as we wrap up First John as a church, remind yourself of what you know to be true and be confident in what you know because of who you know. Let's pray. Father, you are the high and mighty king. You are powerful and at your sight, we would be so awestruck with wonder at who you are that we would bow and have every reason to be stunned into silence. And yet you are our Father, and you love us. You welcome us. You invite us to talk with you. And so we will. What a privilege. What a joy. You care about each of your children so deeply. Would you work through us this week, Father, to encourage us, to, enc to encourage each other and to look more like Jesus, who lived a sinless life and loved people perfectly and sacrificially. That's the kind of love we want to show people. For your glory, Lord. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.